week in sparkling water. I'm the host of this week in sparkling water, and my name is Iwaki Maxon. <sighs> How's everyone doing? I am. Um, unfortunately, this has to be a kind of a short episode, I guess. So I have to be at work in a minute. So I was. Re- I'm, I'm reading this book. Um, it's called Here I Am because Dr. Luke and me are going to do a little book club. If you want to be part of the book club, just send me a message, okay? You're going to read a book every month and talk about it. So I'm reading this book called Here I Am, and it's fascinating because it's <clears throat> every single character is Jewish, and I'm learning all these things about Jewish culture. One thing that I think is fascinating is how, so as we all sort of know, there's this thing, the Sabbath or the Shabbat, where like on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to do stuff. And in Jewish culture, there's this complicated set of rules of things you're not allowed to do. And um, one big thing about it is that <clears throat> you're not allowed to carry things in the public space. So you're not, and that includes like even life saving medication. You're not allowed to carry it in the public space on the Sabbath. And then there's a whole list of everything else that you're not allowed to do in the public space on the Sabbath. And then what I'm going to say that I found fascinating that I didn't know about it is that there's this concept of Eruv, which is that in all these big cities around the world, every place where there's a considerable Jewish community, Jewish population, they've done this thing where they take string holy string and these religious leaders these jewish religious leaders install this string and they will tie the string around an entire city and then they'll do this little ritual and then when they've done that they can then say that okay everything inside of the string is actually not the public space it's the private space so it'll be an entire district you know but with the string, you can be like, okay, you, you're then allowed to carry medicine around outside of your house because you're still in the private sphere because you're inside of the area delimited by the string. Like, it's so crazy. <laughs> it's so fascinating. And then it's like, if there's a snowstorm and the string is severed by weather or something, then you're not allowed to do it anymore. Then you're no longer allowed to carry medication in the public sphere. But um, what I was going to say about it was something completely different, because like in the book, there's this one line that made me think of this huge thing. I was just like laying awake at night thinking about, I need to polish my glasses. My glasses have like an entire slice of pizza on them. There's this child character in the book that says this short thing. He just goes, these people are crying in Jewish. That's what he says. You're crying in Jewish, which is a weird child thing to say. Cause like it should probably be like you're crying in Hebrew or Yiddish or something. But he says, you're crying in Jewish. And it made me think of this thing of with language and how sometimes we do non-language things in language. <clears throat> and it made me think of how, 
this one time in Shanghai, Sebastian looked at me and was like, you're laughing in Swedish. And it's like, <laughs> it's this like weirdly specific thing that he didn't explain. I didn't ask for an explanation, but we both just know what it means. Because what it means is that I think when I think when we moved to Shanghai as 19 and 20 year olds, we just did everything in English. And there was this weird sense of escapism with that. Oh, the neighbor just stopped using his fucking chainsaw. There was this weird escapism there because we just did everything in English and we would, I don't know. I think, I think back on it, I don't think I realized it at a time. I think I didn't even know what I was doing at the time, but, but, but it was weird. And we were two Swedish dudes and we would hang out with people and we'd never speak Swedish to each other. And I think, I think we were running away from ourselves and from how we were feeling and we didn't like who we were and we were, thinking that if you go to a different country and you speak a different language, you can be a different person. It's like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, We did it to such a weird extent. I remember that there was this one time where we were partying sort of and like just like drinking or something. And it's late at night and it's just me and Sebastian and our friend Cammy. And Cammy is this like French guy who's like five, six years older than us. And the three of us are hanging out and it's like getting really late and Cammy just passes out. And me and Sebastian are still hanging out and maybe playing cards. It's like maybe 4 a.m. And then it's, this is embarrassing. I think this is embarrassing and I don't know if people understand why this is embarrassing, but this is embarrassing. There's this moment where Cammy like wakes up and he, he's like, bro, it's, it's okay. Like you guys can speak Swedish to each other. Like I'm fucking passed out. Like, why are you guys not speaking Swedish to each other? Like what? You guys are being fucking weird. <laughs> it's what Cammy is saying. And me and Sebastian are like, I don't know. I don't think we knew what we were doing psychologically but i think it was that thing you know like in my early teens i watched the movie fight club and it really stuck with me and there's this line in fight club where it's like he keeps flying from time zone to time zone and there's this part where he's like if you can wake up in a new time zone in a new time and if you can wake up in a new place can you wake up as a different person? I don't remember what the line is, but it's something like that. And it was just like this symbol of escapism that really resonated with me. <sighs> Cammy had a lot of things to say. I remember this one time we like didn't cook at all. No one cooked in China because food was, you could get dinner for like 80 cents. So it was just like so crazy to invest time in cooking. 
But there was always this idea that it would be nice to make food at home. And everyone had that thing. Everyone was always thinking about it, how we should be cooking, and then no one ever cooked. And I remember this one time, and we, there were grocery stores, and we never went to the grocery stores except to get beer. And there was this one time I was living this guy, uh, Clayton, and Clayton bought a stick of butter. And he just had a stick of butter in his fridge. And for weeks, every night, we're just getting wasted. And every night, he's like, at 1 a.m., he's like, made, had these like ideas where he's like, so I got this stick of butter at my house. So like, we could get this and this and this and like go to my house and like use the stick of butter for this. And like, the stick of butter was never used for anything, but he brought it up like six times <laughs> being like, so, uh, I got this stick of butter. We could make muffins, you know, we could make cornbread and we could put butter on them. But no one ever cooked, you know? That stick of butter was never used. But then this one time I did buy um, a toaster oven. And I bought, like, bread and cheese and butter. Just, like, white bread, pre-sliced cheese, butter. And then I remember being at my house and, like, plugging the toaster oven in in the living room and we were hanging out and I was making these pieces of bread with cheese on them and I was like so proud that I was cooking and I was like fuck I'm such a homemaker and then Cammy was like <laughs> Cammy was like eating this piece Cammy's like a fancy French guy who would like pay a lot of money to go to fancy French and Italian restaurants he was a raging alcoholic and but so he was like a low functioning person, but in there, there was a fancy guy in there somewhere. <laughs> and I always respected that, even though I wasn't fancy yet. <laughs> but this one time, Cammy, it's like, he's eating this piece of white bread with this fucking yellow cheese on it. And that I'm serving him. And he's like, he's like, yeah, this is great. Cause me and Sebastian would always go to McDonald's. Right. And Cammy's like, yeah, this is great. It's like, He's like, eat. this is like going to McDonald's and you don't even have to go to McDonald's. That's what he said about it. And then I realized that, God damn it. What I've created here is just like, this is not actually nutritionally more. This is not nutritionally superior to McDonald's is what I realized in that moment. This is not nutritionally or culinarily superior to mcdonald's this is just fucking white toast with a yellow cheese on it and a little bit of fake ass butter in between <clears throat> this isn't that this is not that cool actually is what i realized at that moment because <sighs> cammy always knew But, but yeah, the language thing is like, I remember when, like, I moved to Shanghai and then a year later I got Sebastian to move, move over basically to, to just, to just come over and, and stay. And, and I remember us being in Matt's apartment this one time and, and, um, Matt had this beautiful 1800s apartment, um, in the French concession, which is basically like weird French European architecture, just in the heart of Shanghai, they have these like three story buildings that are super old and it was super old and it would fucking fall apart. And sometimes the fucking ceiling would cave in cause it was a hundred year old building in um, in the third world. But, but, um, we're in this apartment and we're hanging out and, 
And me and Sebastian are like, he just landed. It was like his first day. And we were like ashamed to speak Swedish. But we did it. But we did it quietly off to the side. And we kept doing it quietly off to the side in a mumbled way. And Matt would look at the situation and be like, he'd be like, no, you, I, he just like, I don't know. He had this, he had this, he had this confidence about him that I didn't understand back then. Cause I was such a ball of nerves. And he told us that we needed to speak Swedish proudly. That's what he told us. He's like, you should speak it loudly and, and you should be proud. And in the moment, it seemed like he understood it so much better than us. How to be. And it seemed like we were doing something wrong and he knew how to do it right. But looking at it now, it's like there was this whole angle he didn't understand of like, we were trying to be other people. And he just had this surface level of understanding of how we seemed so ashamed of ourselves, but really we were just trying to be other people. And, you know, when you, <clears throat> like when you move over to a new place and you speak in different language all day, the, the new language sits in a new place in your mouth and uses different muscles. So in the beginning, you get real tired, not just in your brain from using a different language center in your brain, but just also muscularly, skeletomuscularly, you're using something else. Because it's in a different place in your mouth and you just get real tired in your that part of your mouth. And the sounds are just different. And then that's... And then, you know, that's that's what the thing was that Sebastian said that made me think of this whole thing. That's like in the book when the kid says, you're crying in Jewish. It's like we were just we would only speak English and it would feel like we were maybe being different people and that we were on the right track. But then a year in Sebastian, I'm laughing at something and, and he's like, you're laughing in Swedish. And I realized that, yeah, English sits in one place in my mouth and Swedish sits in a different place, which is further down in the throat. And where I'm, when I'm laughing real big, real heartily and real, real honestly, when I laugh real honestly, that laughter is actually coming from a place in my mouth, which is where Swedish comes from. And the fact that I was laughing too honestly meant that I was laughing in Swedish and it, it broke down this fiction we were trying to build. Like we're out here trying to be new people and we're trying to forget who we were. And when I laugh from that part in my mouth, everything breaks down and and we realize that it's all a lie. <laughs> it's so dramatic. It's so funny. <laughs> this is so funny. Holly is downstairs. Just like, it's like, why? Why is this fucking Swede in the attic talking to himself laughing? <laughs> but that's what it was. I was laughing in Swedish and that made everything feel like a fucking joke yeah and then much later everything reversed and like how i talked about daydreaming and stuff it's like i talked about daydreaming a couple of episodes ago and and i realized that daydreaming is a big part of 
language is a big part of it. And now I'm completely the opposite to that. Like now I would love to have a Swedish friend here that I could loudly speak Swedish to and, and prove to everyone that I'm different and that I'm special. And that's not how I felt back then. Back then, I wanted to fit in. It's weird, because in Shanghai, half of our friends were French dudes, and half of our French friends were Americans. And the French dudes would just not give a fuck, and they would just <clears throat> bulldoze everyone and just speak French like a motherfucker. But maybe they're not very profound people. <laughs> maybe they're not very profound people. There was this other thing in the book where, where they quote this old Jewish Hebrew expression, which is something like, the act of saving a life should be considered as saving the entire world. And for some reason that Yeah, it, it, I think that is a beautiful expression because it gets to that point of, I've been thinking about this a lot, how it's so easy to, for me, let me say this in terms of me, it's very easy for me to think that being a good person is something you do when you do something enormous and you save the entire world. And if you can't do that, then fuck it. Then you discard every attempt at being a good person. And it's like, it doesn't matter for me to re recycle because not everyone recycles. So let's just fuck it. Let's not recycle. It doesn't matter for me to be good to people because I can't be good to people all the time. It, all these things where there's this trap of black and white thinking. And I think for a long time I was a bad person because I felt like it just seemed so impossible to be a good person that I was a bad person. <clears throat> But in reality, we have to understand that there's nuance to the world and, and all we have is like this present moment and how we treat the people around us. And if we can go out of our way to be nice to the people around us and if we can be good people in these like small acts in the moment then that's maturity and that's what it is, you know? And we need to do small good things. <clears throat> Not everyone can be Barack Obama. And to discard everything when we realize that we can't be the president and fix everything is, I don't know. I mean, it's super obvious and I don't know. I just have a very immature psychological posture where that took me a long time to realize that we have to do small things. And I think that expression speaks to that. You know, if you save one person, you save the entire world. I don't know. Let's do a water. So I thought I'd 
reviewed this already, but I haven't. Simple Truth Organic Seltzer Water Tangerine Lemongrass. This time we're doing a little bit of a a weird bridge. It's not three of the same flavor. It's, yeah, well, you'll, we'll get there. Simple Truth Organic is awesome. Oh, lemongrass and tangerine. Tangerine is like definitely my top three, maybe my absolute favorite in terms of sparkling water flavors. Yeah, that's incredible. That's absolutely wonderful. That's a nine out of 10, Simple Truth Organic. There's this thing I thought about that I just need to say on the podcast, even though it's like the smallest thing in the world and it's not related to anything. And it's just like this micro event that happened to me probably almost two years ago where I just need to say this on the podcast and move on. Two years ago, I was working at Bobar in Seattle. And I served a lot of Chinese people at Bobart because it was right next to the University of Washington, which has like a more than half of the students are Chinese. And and um, they would come in, they would have soup noodles. And I would shoot the shit with them and speak Chinese to them and we'd be friends and it was all good. And, and now I was going to say something about how they all tipped shitty, but it's like, I don't need to say that. It's fine. They were good people and... Swedish people don't tip and Chinese people don't tip. And and the problem there is not the Chinese people or the Swedish people. The problem there is that America has this like profoundly flawed system of tipping. Anyway, the thing I was going to say is this one time. Okay, first I have to say this other thing that like the novel I wrote that I'm now in the act of self-publishing after all these agents are being too difficult the novel i wrote for a long time the main character grew i i changed it in the end but for years i was working on this novel where the main character was a swedish guy who had lived a lot of his youth in china and that youth had mostly been spent in a small town outside of shanghai called pinghu I just sort of picked, I don't know how I picked this town, but it was just like, it was close to the things I wanted to talk about geographically. So I just picked it on the map. And then I sort of learned everything about it because I needed to sort of get a feel for it. So I just like Googled it a lot and just, and it was just like a random small town. And so I just happened to know everything about Pinghu. And it's like a tiny, dusty town southwest of Shanghai in the flatlands, not famous for anything. Just a regular town with a 30,000 people or something, which in China is tiny, you know? And um, this one time at Babar, I get this table. I'm, I'm talking to them and I'm not busy, so I'm like, yeah, where are you from, bro? And he tells me he's from Pinghu. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't, I, and then I just was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Pinghu. It's like 40 minutes southwest of Shanghai. And he's like, he was so weirded out that I knew that. And then I just said everything I knew about Pinghu. I was like, yeah, you know, you guys are famous for your watermelons, you know? 
You mostly grow watermelons out there. Famous for your pickled eggs. In the town square, you have this memorial to the monk from the 12th century. This monk named Li Shutong. And it was one of the weirdest moments. <laughs> it was one of the most improbable, just like stupid thing. And, and I was so embarrassed about why I knew these things. I've never even been to Pinghu. And I'm so embarrassed about why I knew these things because it's like I'm this fucking loser just working in a restaurant, working on a book that I didn't even tell him why I knew it. I was just like, yeah. Yeah, you know, Pinghu, you know, watermelons. And he just sits there and his eyes are just like complete circular white spaces. And he's completely freaked out by, why is this, why is this person here in America? Because Chinese people don't know where Pinghu is even. I mean, it's nothing. Pinghu is, not, yeah, anyway. <clears throat> Whatever. This is something I needed to say on the podcast. God damn it, I have to leave for work in 15 minutes. There's this one other thing I, bit, I thought about that I also have to just record on the podcast, which is like, when I was a kid, I, um, I was friends with Sebastian, and we had this other friend called Hellby, and the three of us would hang out every day, and we lived in this small town called Hull. And... Why did I think of that part of the story recently? I don't know. Um, and so I would walk to Carl Hellby's house and we'd play video games in his basement or some shit. No, he didn't have a basement. We'd play video games in his room and his room smelled real bad. But, and then I'd walk home and, and there was this thing that once a year, to, to to go to his house, you had to walk through this forested area in town. The town is surrounded by forest, but there's also a... It's not a park. It's just sort of a forest in the city, in the town. And it was small, and there was a, there was a circular route that you could run, like a little trail that you could run. And it was exactly one kilometer. And for gym class, sometimes we would walk over... The gym teacher would walk us over there, and we'd run the one kilometer trail and then you'd have to run it a couple of times or whatever and then you that was gym class but there was also a another trail cutting straight through it for people who aren't trying to fucking go on a fucking exercise thing they're just trying to get from a to b and going from my house to call hobby's house you had to cut through this forested area and you had to cut through on that trail that just cuts straight through anyway the point is that once a year and it wasn't there wasn't a lot of lights. It was dark. There was like three lights or whatever in the entire thing. But, you know, there's, the, I don't know, for some reason, most of the time the darkness didn't bother me. You're walking and it's dark, but it's like there's the moon, your eyes adjust, you just, it's a nice asphalt path. So it's fine. You can just, just walk, you know? And, no one in in this in this universe that this story is set no one is worrying about getting raped on a trail but <clears throat> once a year for a small short period something happened to the frogs and once a year 
this forested area is more of wetlands. It's like wetlands. It's like a swamp. And it's full of frogs, but you never see the frogs, but you sometimes hear them. But once a year, they just come out of the water and they go everywhere. And it's probably something to do with their mating season. But I'm not a frog expert, so I don't know why. All I know is that once a year, my entire childhood, being friends with Call Hell by having to walk through that forested area once a year. You're walking, and you're walking, and it's dark as fuck, and then you set your foot down and you take a step and you're stepping on an enormous toad or frog. I don't know the difference. And you step on it and it's soft and it's squishy and you push down because you're going and you don't have the reflexes to stop and you squish this fucking meaty, strong, wet, moist, muscular body and you push it down and you can feel yourself pushing all the slimy bits and every, all the little sacks bursting and the whole thing fucking breaking down. And then you get even further down and you get to all the bony parts and you feel yourself breaking all the bones. And you crush this entire fucking frog under your foot. And it's the most horrendous, upsetting thing ever. It's fucking awful. And you, you have now stepped down and murdered this frog. And you felt all of the little things in this body and the different the different hardnesses and the different softnesses and the fucking liquids and the squishiness and the slimes and you've crushed this fucking life under your shoe and it's on your shoe now and it's awful. And then now you're in the middle of the deforested area in the dark and there are no lights and now you're trapped. Because all you know is that this whole path is covered in frogs and you can't see shit. And you have to keep going and you don't want to step on another frog. So now you have to like feel with your foot in front of you to make sure there's no frog and then put your next foot in front of your foot and feel to make sure there's no frog and then feel and then oh there's a frog and you kind of stepped on his foot but you kind of didn't kill him and you like have to shove him to the side and it's totally dark and the frogs the 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 path is like covered in leaves and shit and it's just like nature everywhere and and you don't see these frogs bro and your eyes are not helping and then once a year, for like a week every year, there was just this horrible period of having to walk so slowly and so fearfully and in a psychological state of being so grossed out. And I killed so many fucking frogs and I didn't want to. Oh, that was awful. Just to play a little bit of video games and call Hobby's room. Just to hang out on IRC. Just to be with your friend. I would go there and then I would have to walk home and it would be dark. And, and I would kill the frogs and sometimes I'd do my bicycle and I would bike it. And you just bike it and you hit the frogs real quick and it just like pop, pop, pop. And it's awful. You just kill a bunch of frogs by biking over them and it's crazy and it's terrible. Ugh. Anyway. Let's do the next one. 
So the last one was tangerine lemongrass, and this one is lemongrass coconut, and then the next one is coconut lime. So it's not three of the same flavors, but it's like we go from lemongrass to coconut and then coconut to lime, and it's it's a bridge like that. It's a little three-step, you know? It's a three-way parlay. So this is Ourobora lemongrass coconut, and Ourobora, they're hit or miss, dude. They're weird. Oh, God. It smells like coconut. Oh, that's weird. Uh, the Ourobora copywriting is always a fistful of dollars. What is this round f- fruit, question mark? It has a hard outer shell. And I'm told... It has a hard outer shell. I'm told I do too. <laughs> what are you talking about, dude? Why is this on a can of sparkling water? Hello, world. Which is something that... Only huge nerds say and write, because that's what in programming class, you're always first taught how to fucking print the words, hello world. Non-nerds don't say that. Hello world, from the land to your hand, meet Ourobora. Our sparkling waters are made from herbs, fruits, and flowers for earthly tastes and heavenly feelings. Anyway, um, the coconut, I just don't like coconut that much. Not even lemongrass can save it. With real lemongrass and natural coconut flavor. I'm sorry, that's a 5 out of 10. Actually, it's a 4 out of 10. So, <clears throat> at at Call Hellby's house when I was like 12 years old, we would sit on IRC, which is like this chatting protocol where you download a client and... And then there are these channels that you can hop on when you get someone's ID, you hop on the channel and then there's other people in there. And it's like, you just talk to people and it just feels amazing that you're like out on the internet. And it's like 1995 or some shit. It's real early internet stuff before, you know, before texting, before anything like that. And it just feels weird that you're, sending messages and they're being received by people in like other countries and i remember how back then we were really into this web comic called penny arcade and i've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times before and um somehow this fairly famous web comic somehow carl found the irc channel that those guys that made the comic that they were on where they were hanging out and they were talking between playing video games and they were um they were talking about shit and i remember embarrassing him and making him really mad because I said this thing where they were being cool and we were trying to be cool and be friends with them even though they were famous in our eyes. And then they said something about a fighter jet and they were trying to make sex jokes. And then I like shoved him to the side and then I said this joke that was like not a joke. And it was so like, and I'm going to say it now because it's embarrassing and that's what I do on the podcast. I just make a list of all the embarrassing things I've done in my life. And when I was 12 years old, we were on IRC with the makers of the Penny Arcade webcomic. And 
They were talking about fighter jets and... And I shoved Carl Hull by... Off to the side and I took over the keyboard and I wrote... Yeah, well, maybe the gas tank is full of cum. And that was my joke. And he looked at me like, dude, that doesn't even make any sense. And then he turned the IRC client off and was like, I'm never going to go back there. I'm embarrassed. And then he ever talked to them again and, and I fucked it all up. And I was so embarrassed because I couldn't think of anything funny to say. <clears throat> because that, I think that's something I've always valued. Being able to think of something funny. I think I've always used a lot of my brain power on trying to develop a big library of something funny to say. Hmm. And I didn't have anything in that moment. And that always stuck with me. Oh, fuck that up. But there's this other thing I've been thinking about with the the guys on Penny Arcade where where for a long time I was trying to write a book and I always had this like weird trap of black and white thinking where I would be so confused that I'm sitting at home and I I think I'm doing this incredibly important thing where I'm writing this novel that's going to change the entire world, but at the same time, it's so clearly incredibly unimportant, and, like, I, I, I'm, I'm being thrown between feeling like I'm doing something completely the most important and the most unimportant. Like, I'm being thrown between those two feelings, back and forth, back and forth. And a big part of when it felt completely unimportant is to just realize that I'm sitting in front of a computer and all I'm really doing is that I have Microsoft Word open and that I've created a .doc document, like a doc, like a Word doc. I've created a Word doc and I'm just writing this Word document. And this is like a file on a computer and it's really not going to change the world. <laughs> it's just a file. <laughs> It's not even like, for some reason I had this obsession with how if I just wrote it on a typewriter or with a pen, it would be more meaningful, but I'm really just a guy that like right clicked on the desktop and went down to new, make new file and just went to doc and just made a new Microsoft Word doc and then named that doc and then opened that doc and then just started writing in that document. And it's like, for some reason I was obsessed with how that's the most unimportant thing a person can do. Because you're just on your own computer and you're barely connected to the internet and you're just making new files. And it's like nothing. It has no... It's existing in this vacuum of unimportance. And <clears throat> and what I've realized doing AA is that so much of what a healthy mindset in the world is to just to this concept of right-sizing that I bring up all the time because it's just this right-sizing is this continuous journey of just not viewing ourselves as the smallest worms in the world and not viewing us ourselves as these important giants either and to just realize that we are just in between and that we're pretty good at stuff and that we're kind of good people and that we're doing our best and that we're should be proud of this like stuff that we're doing and the stuff that we're doing is medium-sized and it's pretty important and 
and we're kind of doing our best and it's in between. And the in-between is so hard to hold on to. And the reason it connects to the guys who invented Penny Arcade and who do the Penny Arcade webcomic is that they would frequently, they would make this webcomic that would be really funny. And I would read it and they would do one every other day. And I would read it and I think it's so fucking cool and it's so fucking funny. And they would, one guy would draw, the other guy would come up with the writing, but they would kind of come up with the writing together and they would do it together. And they would, every two days they would produce this comic and we'd read it and it'd be funny and they had a huge following. And they, later on, 20 years later, they would leverage that insane following of the webcomic to establish the biggest video game sort of nerd culture convention in the world, the P- the PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo, which is a thing in Seattle and then in all these cities across the world where tens of thousands of people come together and all the biggest video game um, companies show up and have these big booths where you can try early versions of the new video games. And it's kind of the biggest video game convention in the world now, created by the people who started this webcomic. But the thing that they did was that every two days they created a webcomic, and then they also had a blog post attached to each, like coinciding with the with the publishing of each webcomic, there would also be a blog post. So you'd read the webcomic, and then if you were bored and wanted more content, you would also read the blog post. And the thing that they did was that they were really good at right-sizing, where they would frequently, in a self-deprecating way, refer to their own craft as... That, that they would refer to what they're really doing is that they're just making a JPEG. They would always say that. They would always be like, yeah, we're just out here making a JPEG every two days, you know? Because that's really what it is. <clears throat> they would buy a tablet for illustrating, a tablet with a pen, and that's how you like illustrate things digitally, and you fucking draw this three-panel webcomic, and you draw it with the, pa- with the fucking tablet, and then you fucking colorize it, and then you put this speech bubbles on there, and it's the joke in the speech bubbles, and then you fucking save that down in a fucking Photoshop or whatever, Illustrator, who knows what they were using, and you save it as a JPEG, and you upload it on a website, and that's what you're doing. But there's something there where you're like, it's, that you were, they refer to it as a JPEG, but it's also this thing that's like incredibly, that has a big following, and people love it. And it just, it's nice, and we would love it, and it would, they would tell us about themselves and how they were depressed and dealing with these important psychological issues. And they were like fucking, you know, depressed people with health issues. And they would talk through their shit through the medium of three panels in a webcomic. And and they did this important, the, the thing that felt so important to me was how they, in a self-deprecating way, would be like, well, what we're really doing though is that we're creating a, web, a JPEG. And they would talk about the file format, and I'd feel so connected to that. And I thought that was so beautiful. And in my journey of right-sizing myself, I just have really clung on to how they would always refer to it as a JPEG, to be like, well, you know, I have this like incredibly lofty idea of writing a novel, but really I'm just doing a, I'm just out here fucking creating new Microsoft Word documents, and and maybe there's something in between where it's like, I'm doing this thing and I kind of enjoy doing this thing. And and I think the thing that I've landed on in the end, oh my God, I have to be, I have to clock in in 16 minutes. Um, 
have to clock in at work in 16 minutes. The thing I've landed on that it feels like, like being a novelist is such a lofty, me, like such a lofty, unhealthy way of thinking about it. But what I'm really comfortable actually thinking of myself as is just like this shitty word of being a content creator, where it's just, I just really enjoy creating a little bit of content each week and sitting here and opening audacity and just pressing record and, and, and having this mic and just like doing a little bit of a podcast and exporting the podcast as an MP3 and uploading the podcast. And I'm a content creator. And being a content creator is this like nice in-between thing where you don't think of yourself as this complete loser and you don't think of yourself as this complete visionary and you just sort of create a little, little trickle of content. And it just seems like this healthy in-between thing. So I better review this third piece of content here. The people over at Recess created this content and sent me one of these for free. Coconut lime. Recess, full of adaptogens. Is that what they call it? Calming hemp and adaptogen infused sparkling water. Calm, cool, collected. I like Recess. They're good. They pick good fonts. Ooh, coconut lime. Yeah, I don't like coconut, so... Oh, that's... That's actually worse than the Bora Bora. Yeah, that's a 1 out of 10. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. At recess, I just don't like coconut. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, I think I gotta go. I think I gotta go. I love you guys. I gotta be at work in a bit. Thank you for listening.